0: Reading tonight for our text uh, from the Acts of the Apostles, Acts chapter 2. We'll look tonight at verses 46 and 47, Acts 2, 46 and 47. And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. The first 41 verses of this second chapter of Acts is really a a summary of what happened at Pentecost. In the Hebrew, it would have been called Shavuot, And we do know that the word pente in the Greek simply means five, sort of like the Pentagon has five sides. But this word Pentecost in its entirety literally means the 50th day from what would be referred to as the festival of first fruits or the day that Jesus Christ rose from the dead in his own power. It always lands on Sunday. Sunday. Now, we do know that Luke, he wrote this particular book, and between Luke's Gospel and the book of Acts, he wrote over 27% of the New Testament. And as you read Luke, you find that he likes to focus on the humanity of Christ because, of course, Luke was a doctor, and if we understand correctly, he was the only Gentile writer of the New Testament. In the third chapter of Luke, he provides the genealogy of Christ and he takes his genealogy all the way back to Adam, the bloodline of Christ. We also know that 26 times in Luke's gospel, Jesus is referred to as the Son of Man. Sometimes it's Jesus himself speaking and sometimes it's Luke writing about the Lord, but That's how Luke thought. He was the son of man. He wanted to focus that Christ came and was fully man. Of course, he was fully God. Many see Acts simply as a sequel, the second volume of what Luke was, the gospel according to St. Luke. And if we look at the final words of what Jesus said, as recorded by Luke, in Luke 24, verse 49, he says, And behold, I send the promise of my Father unto you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. And after this, right before them, Jesus ascends up into heaven, and the Bible says that he had his hands lifted up. It no doubt was quite a sight as they watched the Lord literally and physically go up into heaven. And following these words in Luke 24:52 it says, "And they worshipped Him and returned to Jerusalem. With great joy. You can see where they went immediately. And we're continually in the temple praising and blessing God. That's the 53rd verse, the very end there of Luke chapter 24. Well, if we skip over to Luke, excuse me, to Acts of the Apostles, Acts 1 1. The former treaties have I made. He's referring to what he had formerly written, the Gospel according to St. Luke. O Theophilus, now Theophilus, we don't really actually know who he was. He's mentioned in Luke's gospel, chapter one, I believe, verse three. But he's saying, remember what I wrote unto you about all that the Lord does, in fact, did, excuse me. He said, again, in Acts one, one of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. Some think that since his name means friend of God, maybe he was a title for writing to all Christians or Gentile believers, or maybe he was somebody high up uh, in that particular place or time because he refers to him as excellent Theophilus in Luke's account, uh, in the gospel according to St. Luke. But Luke immediately begins to explain uh, to this Theophilus, or all of us that are reading uh, what he wrote, that the disciples immediately followed the command of Jesus. They did exactly what the Lord had told him to do that. And Jesus has, had told them, go to Jerusalem and don't leave until you've received the power of the Holy Spirit. He says, don't leave until you receive this gift of the Holy Spirit. And, and in some cases, he refers to him as the uh, the comforter, but he also refers to him as the Holy Ghost that they would be baptized which means to be fully and entirely immersed in the Spirit of God and so here are 50 days after Jesus had rose from the dead in his own power we find that Jerusalem would have been a very bustling busy place at the time it was Shavuot or the Feast of Weeks and it was an exciting time back in Deuteronomy the commandment was three times in a year shall all thy males appear before the Lord thy God, or in this case, come to Jerusalem, in the place which he shall choose in the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Well, the Lord had just fulfilled unleavened bread, and they would have been there for that time. And number two, in the Feast of Weeks, this particular time. And then, of course, and in the Feast of Tabernacles, which will be fulfilled during the millennial reign. But if we read through this, we see they gathered, they tarried, and they prayed. And Acts 2, four says, And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. It says all. Not uh, just a few. There weren't uh, onlookers at that time initially of those that were praying. But the scripture says that they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Imagine being in a prayer meeting where everybody's filled. We've been in prayer meetings where Maybe we were being filled, or maybe we were on the sidelines observing those that were being filled. But those here that, that, that took to heart the commandment of the Lord, and they were with one mind, they were in one accord. The Bible says they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. In Acts 2, verse 5, it says, And there were dwelling at Jerusalem devout men out of every nation under heaven. And I think I've read that, well, I don't know how many times, but I don't haven't always caught that. It says, out of every nation under heaven, they were there. And we know that the news had spread quickly. So, a bustling city. Those that were gathered being filled with the Holy Spirit and what an experience it was. And it was noised abroad and everybody began talking about it. And the Bible says that a multitude came together and it uses this word confounded, which means an assembly in disorder, confused, stirred up or in an uproar. They didn't know what to think of this. These folks out of every nation, what they were hearing what they were seeing. And in verse uh, 7 of Acts chapter 2, it says, And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we, every man in our own tongue, wherein we were born? They were hearing clear, distinct languages that they could understand. The languages in which they were born into it was not gibberish it was not some made-up angelic language these were clear distinct languages the same evidence comes today when we receive the holy ghost well we know that peter he was emboldened he had just been filled He stands up to preach and first of all, he tells them this was prophesied by Joel that this would happen and that signs and wonders would follow. Secondly, he tells them this is evidence of the last days. Two thousand years ago, the last days were kicked off, so to speak. And he tells them the day of the Lord is coming and he talks about in his sermon about when Christ will even come back at his revelation But Peter says right now, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. The dispensation of grace, the dispensation of the Holy Spirit, all humanity, any individual that calls on the name of the Lord can and will be saved. Peter tells him that they had crucified Jesus, but he goes on to say that you, you crucified him, but it was predetermined by God that you would do that. Peter begins to paint in his sermon a picture of, in heaven. And as you read through that picture, it's of God the Father and God the Son on his right hand. And even to an extent that he's quoting from, I believe, the 16th Psalm, and then ultimately Psalm 110, verse 1, where the Lord is saying to the Lord, God the Father saying to the Lord Jesus, Psalm 110, 1, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. Well, the folks heard this message, this sermon by Peter, and the Bible says they were pricked in their heart. And if you look at that word pricked, it literally means to pierce thoroughly or to agitate violently or sting to the quick, sort of an old English way of saying that. Sounds like the ultimate Holy Ghost conviction. They were pricked in their hearts. And Peter gives them, Well, we can read in Acts 2, verse 37. Now, when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And here's the key of what Peter told them. Verse 38. Then Peter said unto them, Repent. You know, his his, his response was more than just an acknowledgement of Christ. Many of these people probably had seen Christ. They believed that he had come. And really, to be frank, it was more than a repeat-after-me prayer. It was more than a welcoming acceptance of those that were there. His response was, repent. A response of repentance. And we know there are cases where Someone can say a Repeat a prayer after me and somebody in their heart can reach out to the Lord and and truly be saved in that manner. But it must be a prayer of repentance. Peter could not declare these people saved. He could not say you've done this so you're saved. Only God can declare a heart saved. We must have a supernatural experience with the Lord where something happens where the Spirit comes into our heart and tells us on a one-on-one basis that we've passed from death unto life. But he goes on to say, it's interesting he doesn't leave them there he says repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and he's not saying that being baptized in water saves you it's like if you go to work you 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 get your work done and then you get paid for the work that you already had done typically you don't get paid ahead of time do you well we have to repent and be saved and because of that, we're water baptized. But he goes on to say, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. He preaches a full gospel unto them right away. And so do we. You can be saved. You can be sanctified. And you can be filled with the Holy Spirit. Peter tells them, then of course we know that there is this promise to all humanity. An international call or promise to All human beings throughout all the world. And he's even points into time, uh, into generations future that the promise is unto them. It's for the whosoever will. It's for all walks of life. It's for the entire world. And in verse 41 of Acts 2, it says, And they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day were were added. There were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And really, verse 42 to the end of this particular chapter, Acts chapter 2, it's a summary of what continued to happen in the early days here. A new era has started. Verse 46, and they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat with meat with gladness and singleness of heart. I think that speaks of unity, being on the same page, Agape love towards one another and singleness of heart. In verse 47 of our text, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. The church had begun. This was the beginning of the church of Christ. This is when the body of Christ began. We point back to this time and Jesus today continues to prepare for himself a church. A group that stands out above all other group, a group from all nations, all peoples, all lands, all walks of life, the world over, every background, people everywhere can be a part of the church of Christ people that sometimes it's referred to as this mystical group because we know it's set up in the hearts of those that are believers, those that have had this supernatural experience with the Lord, that they have become a part of the body of Christ. And we know that anyone can be a part of the body of Christ. This is the first location in the book of Acts where followers of Christ are called the church we do find three times in Matthew's account where the church is referred to either by the Lord or otherwise. But really here in Acts two forty-seven, this is where something changes. It's the time for the church to take center stage with Christ being the head over the church. And in fact, if I understand correctly, there are 77 verses in the New Testament going forward where we find the body of believers, the bride of Christ called the church where Christ is ahead. And you know, I've wondered today. We know that the Lord is coming back. We've heard it in testimony tonight. We know that some things have happened over the last year that we didn't expect. We couldn't have anticipated. We can look at, like Sister Jennifer testified, Israel right now. I I quickly pulled up some headlines before church tonight. Rockets launched from Syria and Palestinian solidarity riots on border. From Palestinian amid sol- Palestinian ri- uh, solitary riots on border. That's from the Jerusalem Post. Netanyahu vows unrelenting response to Hamas. Arab Jews' violence spreads. That's from the Times of Israel. Israel masses troops on Gaza border. I believe this was from yesterday uh, as conflict escalates. DW News. You know, at some point, there's going to be a point of no return. One of these conflicts, one of these times will absolutely explode. The nations that the prophet Ezekiel would be postured against Israel at the time of the end, they're all aligned. They're postured against Israel today. The Bible predicts that Israel will be on her own at the end. And if we look around, the world is knocking on that door right now. And all that matters is are you a part of the church? Are we a part of the bride of Christ? The writer of Hebrews refers to it this way the general assembly and church of the firstborn. I like that. Which are written in heaven. There is a literal book in heaven with names written in it, and your name's either there or it's not. We want to check. And make sure, is my name there? Is your name there? Is our name there? Are we in that book, which has names written in heaven? Paul, in writing to the church at Ephesus, says that it's a glorious church. These are bold words. Not having spot, or wrinkle, or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. I want the Lord to search my heart, my mind, my life, and find out is there any spot? Is there any blemish? Is there any wrinkle? Paul, in writing to the Corinthians, referred to this group of believers as follows Now ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. The Lord designed a body to work together in unison. You've all stubbed your toe, it hurts. Your whole mindset is about the pain in that toe, right? We realize that there are Christians that are martyred daily for their faith, even today. there's an organization called Open Doors, and they track this sort of information and apparently they they believe that eight Christians every day are killed for their faith and they They put out a list each year of of the top more difficult places to live as a Christian. This is their most recent order, North Korea, number two, Afghanistan, Somalia, Libya, Pakistan, Eritrea, Yemen, Iran, the list goes on and on. They estimate millions of Christians face either what they call high or extreme levels of persecution for their faith. And if we say we're part of the body of Christ, we're part of the church, do we even realize what some in the body of Christ are going through? And the prayer that we should have for those and the realization for what they are going through. And, and we've gone through some different things, even in our culture, and our society, that maybe we didn't expect. And our prayer should be for the church. Some have pointed to that the church started in the home and some believe the church will end in the home before the Christ comes back to pray, take his church back. These are all members of the body of Christ. John the Revelator refers to the body of believers as the bride of Christ. He uses that term bride and and we find that God's intention was there to be a picture between Christ and his church. A relationship. And it's no wonder that marriage is so sacred. When God set up marriage in the garden between Adam and Eve. It was before the fall. It was the only contract that took place before the fall. All of the other contracts are because of the fall after it, because humanity can't trust one another. But there's a parallel between Christ and his church. And there's a parallel in marriage, which is sacred. And we don't want to mess with that because it's a holy covenant. We want to make sure we're part of the Church of Christ. We want to make sure we're part of the body of Christ. We want to make sure we're part of the bride of Christ. And we can't look at one another and know it's something that's in the heart. We can go to church. Are you a part of the bride of Christ? We can say that we know the scriptures. I remember growing up. I can't really say that I ever pointed back to a time where I doubted that Christ had come. Yet for years I was not saved until i was in college when the lord made a change so it's not about a head knowledge it's not about a in formative simple explanation of the scriptures you have to have a spiritual knowledge in your heart and so tonight we believe the lord is coming back very soon we can just look at the news we can see what's happening around it can't be long pretty soon that old trumpet will sound And we want to be part of the bride of Christ. We want to be part of the body of Christ. And just as that song we sang tonight, you need to be washed in the blood. You must be washed in the blood. And if we say the blood of Jesus washes us and then we're still left in our sins, we're saying that there's not enough power in Christ's blood. How dare someone say such a thing? There is power in the blood of Jesus to forgive 100% of our sins. And I've always wondered about that when we say the scripture talks about and can cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Something is either cleansed from all unrighteousness or it's not. There's no middle ground. And how can we negate the power that there is in the blood of Jesus to forgive sins and to cleanse from all unrighteousness? He can do that. You can experience that. You can know that your sins are forgiven. You can know that you have been cleansed by the power of the blood of Jesus and made ready for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We preach a complete gospel just as the word of God says you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. If you're not filled with the Holy Spirit, you need to ask the Lord to give you a hunger. Sometimes we think that, oh, a hunger is just going to all of a sudden drop on us. No, you have to make a decision. There's been instances where I've heard where people have testified, I sat in a service and all of a sudden I was hungry. But generally speaking, you have to choose, I want my baptism. I want to draw closer to the Lord. And when you make those decisions, you're going to do things that position your prayer life, your priorities in order to seek the Lord. And pretty soon you'll find a hunger in your heart. And then pretty soon you'll get desperate and you'll get to a point where you'll have to have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The scripture talks about coming boldly to the throne of grace because when you come the Lord's way, it's guaranteed that he'll keep his end of his promise, his end of the deal, we might say. You need to be saved, you need to be sanctified, and you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. The song is 506. Come out and pray.